Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On today's Business of Sports special, we take a look at some of the top trends in the sports industry and what we look forward to this year. Joining us to delve into the highlights is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And let's start, first of all, the Carolina Panthers officially up for sale because they are now out of the playoffs. Who's in play? Who is not in play? Any billionaire <laughs> that has looked at a pro sports franchise in the, let's say, year or two. I mean, Michael, we've discussed this in the past. The way this works, commissioners often pre-interview folks who are interested in buying pro sports teams. So imagine, uh, and this won't be so good for the Port Authority of New York, but imagine you're waiting to take a flight out of LaGuardia Airport. You know where there's a long line of planes usually? <laughs> like you're number 35 for takeoff. <laughs> That's the way this works. There's a runway of prospective buyers, and you can be sure that Roger Goodell has already spoken with Allen and company, and they, of course, have had people trying to buy franchises. Steve Greenberg, who's handling this sale, just sold the Brooklyn Nets. That went for $2.3 billion valuation to Josiah Alibaba. So that wasn't the only person that Steve Greenberg spoke with. So he knows who's interested. This is what they do regularly. Keep in touch with folks who have the wherewithal to cut the check. So now those folks come to the forefront all over again. And it's not just the really rich business folks. There's going to be celebrities probably involved in this process as well. You know, Jeter wasn't really the money guy, but he was the face of that bid group for the Marlins. I mean, we've seen Steph Curry, I believe, and and, and Puffy Combs, uh, P. Diddy, are, are out there talking about they want to get in on, on the Panthers. I think in addition to the really rich guys, you're going to see a lot of famous people either in music industry or athletes or celebrities, actors, movie stars, uh, that may be expressing interest in, in getting in on this as and well. And you want some news? Here, we'll, we'll, we'll make some news now. I can tell you that Diddy, is that what he's going by these days? Diddy. I don't know. He's, he's cooler than I am younger. Not so young anymore, <laughs> but younger. He's already reached out to some bankers for information about the team to find out the process. But let me tell you this. When a guy like Diddy, whose net worth is, help me out here, 700, 800 million, whatever it is, that's the check. The way the NFL works is you have to cut a huge equity check. They don't want too much debt on these franchises. So whoever buys this team, let's assume 2.3, 2.45, somewhere in that range. Whoever buys this team is going to have to cut a $700 million check. Now, I think Diddy is smart enough to know that you don't take your entire net worth and tie it up in one asset. So I think he went from this visions of grandeur of general partner, I own the team a la Bob Johnson in Charlotte, to how can I be a limited partner and be a piece of an ownership team? And he's going to have to now look around to other prospective owners and see who wants to attach to him. Last year, the Brooklyn Nets set the bar when they were sold at a valuation of $2.3 billion. Uh, the Kind of the common general thought is that NFL teams are the most valuable. They certainly are on average. Uh, is there a chance that this sells for less than 2.3? Does this possibly go for less than the Nets did without their arena in Brooklyn? I think there is a chance. Do I think it'll happen? No, it'll be a tight line. But because of the interest in Asia and it went to Josai and basketball's globality, uh, there is a shot that it could be less than the Nets. And I mean, the last NFL franchise to sell with the Buffalo Bills, that had a one in front of it. That was 1-4, which is a very high number for the Bills considering the market and the local money. So things aren't so great in Carolina in terms of market size, in terms of corporate support. So possible, yeah. Well, speaking of Carolina, speaking of Charlotte, does the team stay in Charlotte? 
Oh, I would think the team stays yeah, in Charlotte. I yeah, this, sure. I, that I, I don't know if it's going to be one of these. You have to write it into the contract, but no one has mentioned to me, nor has there been any sort of reason right now to leave. But you will start to hear, and it won't be long after some new person takes over, that, well, this stadium is fill-in-blank X years old. I don't have it at the tip of my tongue. But we sure could use some more club seats and and luxury suites. And you know why, Michael Barr? Because in the NFL, you don't share revenue from club seats and, and luxury suites. Mm-hmm. You share a lot of stuff in that league. But that's one of the things you don't. And that's why Jerry Jones built that cash register out in Texas. So that's not, I always With say, that big I, don't scoreboard. Even, I don't call it a stadium. I just say, remember we were there for the Super Bowl, Emmett? I kept saying, all right, I think we need to drive out to the cash register now because that's what it is. I mean, you see, the people line up for tours of that thing. They're paying 50, 60 bucks to take a tour of it. And he keeps all the local revenue generated. That is what the new owner is going to want. Speaking of Mr. Jones, finally he subsided his feud with Roger Goodell. So I guess they are buddy buddies and they're hugging again. So, Well, once you're back to the business of making money, it helps if everybody's on the same page to try and do that. I don't know if they'll be buddy-buddy because Jerry's not winning the Super Bowl this year, which I think he had designs on with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott. But that's not that didn't happen. So, you know, the... Uh, I'll forgive, but I don't forget. Something tells me that with Jerry, who's not 22 years old anymore, that might fall under that category. Well, Scott, we'll see what happens. Now let's turn our attention to the NFL. And joining us in the discussion is Bloomberg sports reporter Eben Novi Williams, the wonderfully quaffed Eben Novi Williams. We are talking the NFL. Buy or sell, good or bad. You hear so much negative the ratings are down. The players are unhappy. The player protests. No Kaepernick. Concussions. I'm still bullish on the NFL, Eben, because this is the first year, according to PricewaterhouseCoopers, that media revenue is going to surpass ticket revenue, sort of that in-house. And you and I know media is going to drive the sports world, the scalable media, the ability to deliver highlights, where you want it, when you want it, tablet. Where, I mean, we're going to get into all that. But are you a believer that the NFL has a bright future or that the headwinds could be too strong? I think the future is bright. I agree with you. The media rights is going to be the portion that is going to keep this going. Roger Goodell has the stated goal of reaching $25 billion in revenue uh, within the next handful of years. And I think that's possible on the backs of media rights. This huge question of with Amazon, with Facebook, with Twitter getting into this game, is there more money or is there less money? And the early returns on that question seems to be that there's more money for the premium content. And NFL remains the most premium content out there in sports. If there's one person to ask about the future of NFL media, it would be Jonathan Kraft. He is the head of the league's digital committee. And probably when he took over, he didn't realize just how powerful. Maybe he did. I mean, Jonathan's one of those guys. He he couldn't have known that Amazon and Twitter and Facebook would be bidders. I mean, real billion-dollar bidders for sports rights at the time. But he was on our show, and he talked about the commissioner looking forward and advancing the business of the NFL. Roger is the commissioner of the league, and on a number of fronts, he's he's really helping the league advance our business and 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 making sure that we're at the forefront of, of sports and entertainment and 
that's what his job is. We also talked with Demora Smith, the executive director of the NFL Players Association, about Colin Kaepernick and players taking a knee during the national anthem. We believe in our players' rights to, to free speech. If there comes a time when, when we make a decision uh, that the union is going to do something um, uh, regardless of, of the position of his representatives, um, you two will be the first to know. Now, you, have you gotten a call yet? Uh, I haven't gotten a call yet. I haven't gotten yet. a call yet, so I guess the union has not decided the to do it. The phone did ring <laughs> once, but I missed it. I was out. And, but here's the thing, and, and, and I, I say this over and over again. We can talk about players kneeling, maybe why the ratings are down, but as a guy who's watched the National Football League for 45 years, I'm now confused about what the rules are because I thought I knew what a fumble was, but I guess I don't. So this, there has to be some clarification for fans to at least say, look, at least I know what a catch is, and at least I know what the fumble is. I think there's something to that. And we talk about some of these things. Players kneeling seems like a cyclical thing. That might not be a big deal in a couple of years. The thing that will be a big deal and will probably forever be a big deal for the NFL is the health and safety of its players. And it manifests itself in concussions and CTE, which will probably continue to be a, a bigger and bigger deal the more we learn about the effects that playing this game has on your brain. But it also, players are getting hurt at a crazy rate right now. And you have marketable stars that are off the field for huge swaths of the season. You know, J.J. Watt. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, who was going to probably going to be Rookie of the Year if he continued playing the way he was. It's hard to kind of build a league around stars. It's hard to put these guys in commercials, etc., Carson if they're Wentz. not on the field. Yeah. Carson Wentz is another good example. Uh, and then the third part of that, kind of as you're mentioning, Michael, uh, they're changing the rules so much, the game is also getting softer. You know, and it probably has to be because it's dangerous. Uh, but so much of what people loved about the NFL, these huge hits, the brutal violence of the game, I think is slowly being kind of sapped out of the league. And those are long-term things that maybe not next year, maybe not in 2020, uh, but, but if you look 5, 10, 15 years down the line, if all those trends continue, if the game keeps getting changed to be softer and less violent, people still continue to get hurt, if people aren't letting their kids play because they're worried that, when they're 45, they won't they won't remember names. Uh, those are things that can really hurt the league moving forward. Well, here's a name that people probably don't know, but they should. Everybody knows Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL, and they think it's all on Roger. But there's a guy at the NFL who was in charge of the Los Angeles project, and now we know there are two teams in L.A. when forever there had been none. His name is Eric Groupman. He was an oil and gas banker at Goldman Sachs. He sold the Jets for Leon Hess to Woody Johnson, and then he moved over to the league office. And I can tell you, Eric is now in charge of a couple of things at the NFL. He's sort of spearheading their direction on. A, global expansion. How do we create more interest? Can we put a franchise in London, let's say, and make it Europe's team? Open up the borders so that more revenue can flow. That's one. Two, he is in charge of spearheading the NFL's effort on sports betting. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we see sports betting, I think we're in agreement here at this table, that what daily fantasy was in that snapshot, where the, the influx of all that advertising money and the leagues and the teams were more than happy to just soak it up, sports betting provides a possible windfall for these franchises. We're talking billions of dollars that could go into their pockets. So keep an eye on Eric Grubman. This guy, he might not have the, have the name recognition of Roger Goodell, 
but there are people there who are in charge of making sure the money flows, and he's one of them. Scott, don't we think that uh, the gambling money is going to flow in everywhere? I mean, that, that's something that's going to affect the NBA. It's going to affect the NHL. It's going to affect Absolutely. MLB. A- absolutely. But what we have argued for many years here is that gambling was one of the reasons the NFL was the most popular, one of the reasons it was uh, number one in revenue, in other things. Red Zone is a good example of that. Why is Red Zone popular? Because everyone on their fantasy teams who might not give a hoot about who wins or loses the game, like that core fan, but they know they have this wide receiver on their team, so they watch Red Zone. They don't watch the games. Moving forward, we know about millennials and the younger viewers. They're not tuning into a three-hour game. So you got to give them something to do, whether it's highlights, snippets, live betting. It better be something. And the NFL, at least from that perspective, I think is very well positioned. Scott, another trend that was buzzing baseball and the Yankees. Eben, we know what to expect at Yankee Stadium. We are going to see the long ball. We are from Aaron Judge uh, and from a newcomer, Giancarlo Stanton. We had Hal Steinbrenner, Yankees managing partner on the show uh, early last year, uh, talking about Aaron Judge and his fantastic rookie year. We certainly chose him to start right field. We've been following him for years. We knew what the potential was, but yes, nobody could have predicted that he'd be having this kind of a rookie season. So you have rookie of the year, Aaron Judge. You add Giancarlo Stanton, perhaps the most uh, prolific home run hitter uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about Gary here. Sanchez in that lineup also. Gary Sanchez. I apologize uh, to Gary Sanchez's mother for leaving him out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Yankee fan. And also, I think if you're in baseball, period. I think there's no question that if the Yankees are good, the business of baseball is in a better position than if they're not. I love all the people that complain about Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Oh, Yankees, Red Sox again. I mean, just look at the ratings. I mean, for all these people on the West Coast, you like that? I wish I had a meme of your face. I brought that in from my home life. (laughs) But for all the people on the West Coast, we don't see the Dodgers. We don't see this and that. When the Yankees and the Red Sox are on... The ratings are higher. I mean, yeah, they're five-hour games. We got to figure that out. But you think you're not going to see the Red Sox and the Yankees with Giancarlo Stanton now playing in New York? That's going to be the team to see. They're going to sell out everywhere they go. And there is something truly amazing about Derek Jeter having being a part of the ownership group in the Marlins, taking over, and then selling perhaps the best young star in the game back to his former team at pennies on the dollar. I mean, this is like. Eli Manning buying a piece of the Panthers and then selling Cam Newton back um, to the but Giants. I, 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 right? I'm sorry, we, we're not allowed to say that that man's name unless you do it in Bob Shepard voice. So could you give it a Michael Barr attempt? Number two, Derek Jeter. Not as Michael Barr. Number you, two. you. Number two, <laughs> Derek Jeter. When you did it, Evan, I, I, there was no way I was ever going to say yours was better. <laughs> but unbelievably, it is. So I mean, but Jeter's gone. What do you think this does? I mean, are we back in the days now of? The bad old Yankees, the evil empire. Uh, this is a. They took on how much is left on his contract? One hundred sixty, seventy million. These guys. I mean, he's got a crazy number out there, and they took it on to a pretty high payroll already. Yeah, I mean, we have the Dodgers out on the West Coast who are spending. But they're way, coming down. Dodgers are coming what? down. They ha- they had a break because of the ownership change. They are now mandated to come back to earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they didn't win the World Series. That's the and we talk about the Yankees Dodgers, Yankees Red Sox rivalry. Yankees Dodgers rivalry seems. I mean, we had Stan Kasten on the show earlier, one of the Dodgers owners, and he talked at length about the Dodgers being the most valuable brand in baseball. Right. So, so Stanton, what he's got ten years, two sixty. Is that what it is? Ten years, two hundred and sixty. That's a lot by any standard. Any team, that's a lot of money. But Michael, 
we understand, right, because of that salary, we understand why Jeter, who's now running the baseball operations of the Marlins, had to get rid of him. But let's just say, and I think this is a safe thing to say, the baseball folks in Miami are not as understanding as this group here. What did he call it? Project Wolverine? Project Wolverine. He's a Michigan boy, so Kalamazoo. Oh, we had to get back to Michigan for you. See how he did it there? (laughs) Never (laughs) fails. But yeah, I mean, it's what he's trying to do as part owner is like, look, I got to look at the the bottom line here, and I got to look at the salaries, and I know it's not popular from what he's trying to tell people, but it's got to be done, and he promises that he wants the team to be profitable by the end of the season that's coming up. Looking at it from Jeter's perspective, I totally understand what he's doing. Is there also a reason or a case for a Marlins fan picture, you know, I'm picturing Marlins man behind the plate. That's what I'm picturing. Uh, Who's a fan of this team for a while has lived through an era where the owner consistently cut payroll. They'd be good for a year. He'd sell off all the pieces. Uh, The team went up for sale excited about new ownership, possibly someone with a little bit more cash, and it ends up with MLB and, 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 and Loria choosing a group that doesn't have the money to immediately infuse this team with cash. A group that, that, that has to, because they don't have the funds, to do exactly what the old owner was doing in fire-sailing players. Well, I, as the Yankees, I mean, let's think about it. you got the Yankees are going to be the super team, all because of what we got from Miami. And I just wonder now what Derek Jeter is thinking when the Yankees dominate this upcoming season. Now switching gears, one of my favorite sporting events to watch, the Olympics. Scott, your thoughts? Not so far away, Eben Williams. The Olympics in South Korea, just me? Or is there not as much buzz about these games? I sit and watch TV sometimes and the promo comes on and people are like, Oh, yeah, the Olympics are coming. Am I, am I wrong? It's that two weeks where you household names get formed and then you forget about them for four years and then you're, you see them on the slopes four years later and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I remember. I remember Tanya Ma- who? Michaela Schifrin. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tanya was big because of the Golden Globe Awards. Like, we, everybody knows who she is. Uh, what, what, Margot Robbie made her famous again. But, Evan, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, and this is fine. If, if you don't know, you don't know, because I don't, I don't really know too many who are the names of the Olympics? I mean, I know Lindsey Vaughn. Michaela Schifrin is going to okay. be the the, the hands-down U.S. female star, da- downhill skier, who people think is possibly even better than Lindsey Vaughn already. She's young. She was in Sochi. She will uh, should be in a couple more Olympics to come. Uh, outside of that, I mean, there's, there's always heartwarming stories. We have the Nigerian female bobsled team um, that I'm sure is going to get attention as we see with all the Olympics, that we talk about this every four years, there's a story that pops up that dominates the games that no one can prepare for. Yeah, but in the we summer, have, we, know we have track and field, we have Michael Phelps in the pool, you, know, you have basketball, and now no NHL. So, Michael, do you care about Olympic hockey if the NHL players aren't participating? No. <laughs> thank thank you for that, Michael. For that. Looking forward to your next syllable. I, no, I mean, it's, you know, do, do you believe in miracles that we will never see that happen again? I'm sorry to say that for the United States, but, you know, it, it, that was one of the most exciting times ever in the Winter Olympics, the 1980 uh, U.S. hockey team. We'll never see something like that happen again because we won't have the NHL players coming. But back. those weren't NHL players. Yeah, th- those mean, were that's college what I'm saying. Kids, I, I get it, but but you'll never see because the teams have, have is really risen to a higher level now. You just won't see that anymore. They're just saying they're not nobodies. I mean, you do have some former NHL guys. Brian Johnson's the captain of the team. But what are you looking forward <laughs> to? I mean, Winter Olympics is about 
figure skating and it's about the skiing. Those are the two big things. Are you hitching your wagon to U.S. figure skating now? I, I mean, I've never been a figure skating person. I, I, the thing I love about the Olympics is just the fact that there are sports out there that I enjoy watching once every four years that I never watch ever. I like curling. You know, and there are a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people out there like curling, I love curling, and they're never going to watch curling. But when it's on in the Olympics, they'll tune in. I mean, and that is what NBC is is relying on. You know, you find a few good storylines, a few countries. You find someone who's overcome a lot in their past to get to where they are. Great, you know, do a couple segments on that, and then televise the the stuff that people never get to see, but they they enjoy watching the best in the world do it. Uh, honest, what do you see, Michael Barr? Is he the guy like throwing? I don't see him getting down low with the slow push, but I also don't see him sliding with the broom. So I'm not really sure what your role is <laughs> oh, going to be I, on the. T- I, I, see I see you carrying the keg. I see you carrying the keg. Sweep. I see Michael Barr throwing the stone. That's proper uh, curling lingo. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and barking orders to the people with the bruise. Bar- barking <laughs> orders I definitely see. All right. So we'll see what happens with the Olympics. NBC, they're going to go digital again. Do you watch the Olympics at all on computer or iPad or is it all TV? It's all TV because I'm an old man and, you know, I'm used to, like, you know, seeing Franz Klammer, man, you know, on the on the slopes. But I always think, the, like, huge events like this, just like the NCAA tournament, they are a good guide or a good barometer of where do we stand. Where is the viewing audience stand on how they're going well, to touch the you know, product. Speaking of that and that's and being a newsie, one thing I am looking at is that North Korea participating in the Olympics in South Korea and that's really is a big thing. That's going to be a big topic. There's always sense. some geopolitical bend to the games, perhaps never like this one because of the strife between the US and North Korea and the distance of the countries and the tension for years. Interesting, you know, sponsors and but you know everybody's nervous. Evan, is there an insurance angle on this if they don't happen? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of insurance that was taken out for South Korea. Harder to get insurance in, for games in South Korea just because of the nature of of, of their their neighbor to the north. Um, yes, there is a there is definitely an insurance angle. Uh, people paid a lot for for a lot more coverage that covers things like possible war, things like God forbid a, a nuclear attack, etc. Um, so yes, there's, there's, there's more insurance being paid right now just by virtue of the fact that it's such a tenuous region, uh, and it's so close to a, such a strenuous actor. And then in 10 years, Los Angeles, we will get the Olympics here in the United States. We had a chance to talk to, uh, Casey Wasserman of the LA Olympic bid committee about winning that bid. We just did something that, you know, American cities have done a very, uh, a poor job of, which is winning bids for Olympic games. And, to win a bid for summer games has been done once in the last hundred years. And so we're proud to be able to say the Olympic Games are coming to Los Angeles. I'm happy they're coming to Los Angeles, but was it by default, guys? There has been a sea change in how cities go about bidding or even saying they want or do not want the Olympics. This was brought about because so many other cities dropped out. They changed the entire way. They awarded two Olympics at once, Paris in 24, uh, L.A. in 28. And L.A. is best positioned because they have the infrastructure. They have the stadiums. They have the college. They have everything's almost, almost everything is already built. And if you look back at Rio or Athens or Sydney, the fact that so many of these games were in the, in the red, that's a problem. And cities just weren't willing to take on the cost of the Olympics. Was it $50 billion spent for Sochi? Who wants to do that these days? And beyond that, having a games in America makes everything about the business of the Olympics bigger. 
It's the biggest media market. You know, NBC pays more than anyone else for for the rights. Uh, sponsors pay more for games in America. You know, there's going to be probably better ticket sales here than there would be elsewhere. Uh, for everything about the Olympic business model, LA 2028 is a, is gangbusters. And you have 10, 10 years of lead up to, to signing those deals, uh, which is great. The one thing I'm worried about, uh, the, the World Cup is going to be here two years before that, most likely. They haven't chosen it yet, but all signs point to, to the U.S. leading a North American group to host the World Cup in 2026. Uh, there's possibility of some cities out in the West bidding on the Winter Olympics in 2026 as well. Uh, so if that happens, if you have two premier sporting events happening in America two years before L.A. 2028, I wonder if there may be some wind let out of the sails there. The Olympics will get the Olympics here in Los Angeles in 2028. And one of the big things about the Olympics that I like, especially the summer games, watching basketball. Now, let's talk about the big boys in the NBA. And let's talk about Tillman Fertitta. He is the new owner of the Houston Rockets. And if there's anybody who knows numbers, it's Tillman Fertitta. I'm a guy that focuses everything on EBITDA. And, and everything I've ever bought, I, I make the numbers work EBITDA-wise. Now, then, EBITDA, is, is that like a character in Harry Potter? What is he talking about? That's exactly he, what it is. He is yeah. talking about <laughs> earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So this is a guy who has a TV show called Billion Dollar Buyer. He goes in and Fertitta will know, what do I pay per unit for those little shampoo bottles in my hotels? What does it cost me per unit? The ones that I steal? Against, the ones you steal, and he accounts for that. So if anybody knew how to crunch numbers to see if things pencil out on the back of, an, on, of a napkin, it's Tillman Fertitta. And he told us that guaranteed us, guaranteed that the Rockets built will be worth $3 billion in five years. The future of basketball is bright because of globalization and because of the scale in media, Evan. There are a few better metrics, in my opinion, to judge kind of the health of a league than what people are willing to pay for their franchises. Uh, in 2014, when Wes Edens and, and Mark Lazary bought the Bucks for $550 million, we sat there and thought, wow, that's a big number. That looks like a steal now. Yeah, I people mean, thought they were crazier than, than Steve Ballmer at $2 billion, going to Milwaukee. And while we're there, by the way... They have their new arena coming online. Exactly, it's a real estate. Mm-hmm. And now we have we have the Nets, we have the Rockets, both selling for over two billion dollars. Not just how much, but who's buying? Exactly. You know, I mean, Joe Sy, you know, Steve Ballmer, you know, Tillman Fertitta. You know, you've got these huge guys who, who made their money elsewhere, who understand kind of X's and O's of business, how to make something profitable. They're buying into the NBA and they're doing it, as you said, because A, it's huge with millennials. Younger crowds are loving it. And B, if you look at the possibilities overseas, it's much bigger than you look at a sport like football. Tillman Fertitta has something in common with a couple of other owners. They're in the so-called entertainment gambling business, too. Uh, again, it will certainly help the sports betting, will certainly help the NBA, but they are going to distribute uh, highlights, their audience, their players. Everybody seems to be on social. They seem to be on Snapchat and Twitter. They are Weibo. already there. Yeah, yeah, Weibo, of course. I mean, their audience is there. They're going to deliver 99-cent highlight packages. Want to watch the final two minutes of this game? Pay us $1.99. Very well positioned. The, the NBA is going to be very interesting in the next five, ten years. And the NBA has bona fide stars. You know, can you can you think of, name three NFL players that have any kind of the cachet that your top Steph Curry or LeBron have? There's nobody there. Hard to do. Well played. Big thanks to our Bloomberg sports reporter, Eben Novi williams for joining us today. 
to talk some of our favorite moments in the sports industry and what we look forward to in 2018. You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports special. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thank you for joining us. Please tune into our Business of Sports show every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and noon on Saturday, where we talk to the biggest and brightest in the sports industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.